You Need to Mind Your Business is a weekly conversation around the topics of digital marketing, branding, and social media intended to enlighten, educate, and inspire those with an interest in this field to skillfully mind their business, not just work in it. Let's join this week's episode of You Need to Mind Your Business. Thank you for joining us for another episode of You Need to Mind Your Business. I am so excited about today's episode. Today we're going to be talking about business law basics. And the title of today's show is Law and Order Small Biz. Don't you love it? (laughs) I love Law and Order, so I had to have something that was kind of a pun on it. So I'm excited about today's show title. (laughs) All right, so let me introduce today's guest. I'm so excited to have Charlotte Key with us today. Charlotte Key is a staff attorney with an extensive background in corporate, estate planning, and probate law. Prior to joining the nonprofit that she's with now, she worked for top firms in Los Angeles and Dallas, as well as ran her own private practice. Her private practice focused on representing small to middle market businesses, as well as advising individuals regarding estate planning and probate matters. Originally from Lufkin, Texas, she's a graduate of the University of Texas, where she received a BA in English with honors and a BS in public relations. She attended law school at Howard University School of Law in Washington, D.C., where she was a senior articles editor of the Howard Law Journal. Charlotte knows her stuff. So Charlotte is licensed to practice law in the states of California and Texas. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to have you weigh in on this conversation because I think it's just really valuable for small business owners to have a concept of how the law really applies to how they should be running their business. So before we get into it, I'm sorry. So before we get into it, um, I want to ask you a couple of just light, fun questions. Tell me about your favorite social media platform and why. Uh, I think my favorite social media platform is Instagram. You know, they say a picture says a thousand words. And so sometimes it's just nice to scroll through and see people's pictures. Um, And, you know, I post pictures of my family and things like on, on there. And so I think it's just a fun way to stay connected with people without a lot of the clutter that some of the other um, social media platforms have these days. I think that's most people's answer for the same reason. People, it's interesting to hear that sentiment and it kind of makes me feel like, okay, I'm not alone because sometimes other channels have a lot going on and Instagram is just, just the pictures and the video. So, yeah. Okay. So who has been your biggest inspiration and why? Hmm, So I have two because <laughs> I have one from younger in life. Um, I always tell people Claire Huxtable is the reason that I'm an attorney. Okay. <laughs> Growing up, um, she was my only uh, representation of a black attorney. That's right? the record and, show. I love right? Claire Huxtable. <laughs> She's a big reason why I became an attorney. But I think now that I've gotten older, um, a big inspiration for me is actually Michelle Obama. You know, everybody knows she's an attorney. Um, She's pretty fabulous. I don't see how she does everything she does from, you know, getting up and working out every day to 5 a.m. and raising two great daughters and also, you know, being first lady, but still 
even though her husband was president, she still didn't let him overshadow her. She stood on her own and made her own impact. And I just think that's awesome. So she's a big inspiration for me. I agree. I love your two inspiration ladies. <laughs> but you know, it's so funny. I've switched gears. Like it's, I feel like I miss my calling on some areas. Like, of course I am. I said I was by Brandel because for those who don't know, I have a background in event planning, design and production, mm-hmm. but I'm also a digital marketing strategist, but way once upon a time, I used to want to be an attorney. Now, I would say that <laughs> my inspiration for that was part Claire Huxtable, part Perry Mason. Girl, yes. I love Perry Mason. <laughs> I Perry still watch Mason Perry Mason. Yeah, yeah. I still watch him every night. <laughs> just between you and I. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. So let's get into it. So tell me, what do you feel the most important things a small business owner needs to are that a small business owner needs to do in order to protect their business? Um, I usually tell clients it's so important to have your your A team, and that's your advisor team. Um, and a lot of business owners, you know, they just jump in and they start their business. But I tell everyone, you should have a banker. You should have an attorney. You should have an insurance agent, um, a financial planner, and um, possibly a business coach, too. Uh, Because, you know, you may have your partners and your employees, but all of the people that I just named are going to help you protect your business in some way. And a lot of these people should really be involved from the beginning, helping you to strategize um, and build your business, you know, and I may be biased, but I would say your attorney probably should be, um, involved from the beginning of you starting your business. Cause they're going to help you make sure your business is set up properly, that you have the right type of documentation between you and any partners, or even if you're going to be a sole, sole proprietor. And also, if you're a sole proprietor, you also have to think about succession planning because um, people who are sole proprietors, you know, they have all of the knowledge for their business. But if something happens to you, mm-hmm. uh, who's going to run that business for you? Who's going to take over? Who's going to keep it going? And I always tell people because I do estate planning too, there's a lot of things that can happen to you before you die. Right. <laughs> and so if you are the only person with the knowledge about your business, um, then it's just going to sit if you're not able to do it. So uh, attorney can help you do those things. A business coach can help you with your your business plan and your strategy, having a personal relationship with a banker. You know, when you need to get funding for something, that's very important mm-hmm. to have that relationship. A financial planner is going to help you invest your business and your insurance agent is going to help protect you, you know, your business as well as your life too, if something does happen. So I think all of those pieces are important to have. And a lot of business owners don't think about that. I think um, you and I have discussed how uh, you may know your craft very well, but actually Mm -hmm. running the business that might be foreign to you. And so all of those different puzzle pieces can help you run your business uh, efficiently. 
And see, this is so awesome. And for those of you listening, just with her first question, I hope you get a pen and paper and start taking some notes because this is why I named my company Mind Your Business. Mind Your Business. Because so many people approach being an entrepreneur with their product or their service and they don't lay a strong foundation that's going to sustain them um, as they venture out being a business owner and get into the daily operations of actually running something. So this is great. Great, great, great. Yes. I'm all about being proactive rather than reactive to things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people come to, to attorneys after things have happened and we're trying to react to them. But if you're proactive in the beginning, then you have things in place and you're not spending so much time reacting. That's great. So let me ask you this. Um, there, I think a lot of times people underestimate, um, when contracts need to happen and when Mm -hmm. conversations need to be documented to protect your interests and your intellectual property and things like that. So how important are memorandums of understanding in business conversations and are they even legally binding? That's a great question. I think, um, a lot of people enter into business dealings and partnerships without even knowing that's really what they're doing. Um, So if you have a memorandum of understanding, that's at least something that has memorialized an agreement between you um, and another person as partners, as joint venturers, or even if you already have an established business and you're doing um, business with another business, right? You can do a memorandum of understanding. What a lot of people don't realize is that the memorandum of understanding is not necessarily binding. It needs very specific things in it um, to make it binding. And what I would recommend, although the memorandum of understanding can be a beginning point um, in negotiations, it's best to reduce everything to a formal contract if possible, um, because you have to have the meeting of the minds, you have to have offer and acceptance, you have to have consideration. Um, those things you usually have in a contract where you may not have those specific terms in your memorandum of understanding. So I would say that the memorandum of understanding, um, is a great starting point. Um, but your final goal should be a contract. And I think a lot of people don't get um, NDAs, non-disclosure mm-hmm. agreements, mm-hmm. which is very important as a business owner. A lot of time your ideas are a huge part of your business um, moving forward. And so you have to protect your ideas mm-hmm. and you decide you want to go into business with your friend. I've seen so many business divorces between friends. <laughs> oh, that look yeah. that sounds like a great idea for a show like divorce right. court for businesses. Right. That would probably be juicy. Yes, you know, friends get together and like, yeah, we're going to do this business. Um and so they just start doing it and then things go awry and they end up in my office or they used to end up in my office. So non-disclosure agreements, um, work for hire agreements, those are all very important in your business relationships and it's it, it's essential that you get these contracts in place to protect your business and protect yourself and protect your ideas. 
And, you know, one of the things when I was teaching certification for um, weddings and events and even corporate event planners at University of Texas Arlington, um, I was teaching my students to, even at the very beginning of their business, build an HR, right? Build an onboarding process for your employees, like, because the employment part of it too, that agreement and any paperwork that needs to be signed for staff and defining what contract labor is versus what staff is and the implications of that. There's so many things that people don't consider. Right. That's huge. A lot of people will say, um, you know, a person is independent contractor, so they don't have to deal with the tax implications of it. But really, that person is an employee. If you control what hours they work, if you are supplying them with a computer, if they have a set place that they work, like they have to come to your office to work, that's Mm -hmm. probably not an independent contractor. That's an employee. Mm -hmm. And there are tax implications for that. And I think a lot of small business owners really um, can get into trouble because they don't understand the difference between the two um, and how to properly document it. Got to protect yourself, folks. I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is a great segue into my next question. So in today's marketing climate where there's a myriad of great ideas and info just available online, you can totally do a Google search and find all of these great concepts and ideas. You see um, all of these different Facebook ads for people selling webinars and content and product and events and workshops and all of these different things. How should a business approach copyrights and trademarks for their content? Like right now, you know, I have the social media makeover and that's the name of my book. And it's the name of a workshop that I do to teach people about building a solid strategy for their social media. How do I protect myself? So some Johnny come lately, social media strategist doesn't think, Oh, that's cute. I like the social media makeover. And I look up and there's a duplicate of me in some other state. What's the best way to protect yourself? And then what's the difference really between copyrights and trademarks? Those are all great things for small business owners to know because um, first, the difference between copyrights and trademarks, right? So a copyright protects your literary and artistic work. So your book itself and the content of your book, you can copyright that. And the copyright is valid for your lifetime plus 70 years. So it's protected for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, It has to be novel. Um, in order to copyright it, but um, that is the best way to protect anything. So you think about if you make music, right, a song you write, or even um, the music, the uh, musical composition, right, all of that is copyrightable. A trademark, and sometimes it's also a service mark, trademark is used to identify your goods. A service mark is used to identify your services, right? So, um, for instance, I'll just use Harry Potter as an example. I'm a big Harry Potter fan, right? So, <laughs> so um, you look at the book itself, right? And mm-hmm. the Harry Potter books are copyrighted, right, by mm-hmm. the author. But if you look at the way that all of the titles are written and the way she writes Harry Potter, the way it looks, mm-hmm. that's a trademark, 
right? So anytime that you see Harry Potter somewhere, um, they've had to get a license to use that trademark because the way the name is written, the script of it, Mm -hmm. um, that is all part of the trademark. And the author or whoever she's licensed it to um, owns that at this point. And so uh, that is protected And a trademark can be protected as long as it's in use. You have to renew it every Mm -hmm. few years. Um, And I think a lot of people don't think about certain things as being trademarks, but it's anything that can identify your goods or services. So you think about, um, say, Christian Louboutin shoes, right? They have the red bottom to them, Mm -hmm. right? That is trademark. That red bottom is trademark. Or you think about Tiffany, and that specific blue box and that specific color, that blue is trademark because it identifies Tiffany goods. And even you think about NBC, you know, they used to play that little chime. Ding, ding, ding. That is trademark because it identifies the network. So anything that you use to identify your product, you want to trademark it. So your logo, your slogan, even if you have a little jingle that goes along with your business, all of that can be trademarked. But anything that you create artistically, uh, that can be copyrighted. So how does somebody go about getting copyrights and trademarks? Is it an expensive thing to do? Is it a um, like laborious task. Could you do it yourself or do you need an attorney to do it for you? You can do it yourself. The, I think the copyright is a little easier to do yourself. Um, sometimes than the trademark, the trademark, sometimes they will come back and ask you for additional information and it's helpful at times to have an attorney do that with you here in Texas. Um, you can trademark through, the state of Texas through the Secretary of State website. Um, and I forget the exact cost. It's around $200, I think, per um, category because mm-hmm. trademarks are divided up into different categories. So if you want to trademark something for like um, arts and entertainment and then also athletics, right, you're going to have to pay a fee per category. Um, and so you can trademark through the state of Texas and that would protect it here in the state of Texas. But if you want to use your trademark, um, nationally, then you can trademark it through the U S patent and trademark office, the U S PTO, and that gives Mm -hmm. you a federal trademark. Wow. Okay. So can you do a federal copyright as well? Yes. Um, copyrights are also done uh, on the federal level, and um, you can uh, copyright through the U.S. government, and then that protects it for your life and then 70 years after mm-hmm. your death. So then what do you do if somebody, just like, I know, like, I've seen this before with websites where, you know, people will, like, buy a bunch of popular possible domain domain names and then sell them to people when they inquire about them just as a way, to, as a business to do that. So what do you do if somebody, like, snatches your name up, you go to copyright or trademark it, and they already have it but aren't doing anything with it? Like, do you have any, any um, remedy in that? Well, with the trademark, um, it does, you do have to use it or you can lose it. 
So if they're not mm-hmm. using it, then you may be able to get it. The domain names work a little different. Like if somebody's gotten your domain name already, then you may have to to pay for it. I've purchased a couple of domain names when I had my private practice. And, you know, my last name is Key. So Key Law, of course, was gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but there are also exceptions if it's your name then there are mm-hmm. some exceptions to that. You usually can use your name in whatever you're going to trademark. So there there are ways to kind of work around that. Same with the copyright? Copyright um, is a little different. Uh, it's not as big of an issue with copyright because you think about, you know, going back to Harry Potter, right? It's, a, it's basically a book about wizards. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of books out there about wizards and they're all copyrighted. It's just a matter of how different is your story and the way you're telling it or how different is your music and the way you've written it. So if there's a difference, then even if there's something out there that's kind of the same, depending mm-hmm. on the difference between the two, you could probably still get it copyrighted. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. So Tell me this. Now, as somebody is just getting started, like we talked about the A-team, what their advisory board should be as they're starting the business, what are some other um, foundational documents that a business owner needs to consider and make sure that they have in place? Like, so you mentioned a non-disclosure agreement. We talked about contracts. Is there anything else that they need to consider? Like, this needs to be a part of my documentation before I set out to be a business like before I put my shingle out there? Yes. So if you're partnering up with someone, um, you want to make sure that you have a partnership agreement in place. And a lot of people will go into business with their friends and their family members. And so they don't think that they need any type of an agreement between them. But um, those are the the relationships that in the fast is um, sometimes. And so it's important to have a partnership agreement in place saying, you know, this is how we're going to run the business. Um this is how we're going to vote on things. These are the things we're going to vote on. Um, this is how we're going to split the profits. Um, these are the roles and responsibilities of the roles. And even with partnerships, um, you also have to think about uh, if someone gets divorced, right? Because in Texas, we're a community property state, right? So your partner mm-hmm. is married when you start your business and then that partner gets divorced. Uh, well, 50% of that business may be his ex-spouses or her ex-spouses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so what do you do, right? You need to think about those situations in the partnership agreement or even if your partner dies, Um his or her interest in that partnership would pass to that person's heirs, their wife or their children. It could be their parents if they're younger and they're not married and don't have kids yet. And you could eventually be in business with your partner's family that you never intended to be doing business with. So Mm -hmm. a partnership agreement can protect you from those situations. Um, If you're, you know, and if you decide to incorporate like as a limited liability company or corporation, then you need um, 
a membership agreement or bylaws. So those documents are so important because they govern your business relationship between the partners. And then if you want to, to dissolve the business, I've, I've seen where companies, um, and people that have gone into business together, they had a, a partnership agreement or membership or bylaws, but they didn't have adequate termination provisions. So they got into a business with friends, somebody decided to pull out, and then they got to figure out, well, how are they going to divide it up? You could end up in a situation where somebody put in, you know, six months worth of work, but they're entitled to earnings from the business for over five years you don't want a situation like that where you're continuing to pay that person and they're no longer putting into your business so those are some things that you need to think about and lay out in the beginning um, of going into business you also have to think about how is this business relationship going to end if it does Um, I would also say having a business plan in place is very Mm -hmm. important um knowing well who are going to be uh your target audiences what is that target audience's hot spots like what do they need where do Mm -hmm. we find these people um Mm -hmm. because you want to be very targeted when starting a business because you may not have a lot of resources to do a lot of marketing so really honing in on who you're trying to target where those people are and what they need can be crucial um, in making sure that you are using the resources that you have efficiently in starting your business. So doing a business plan is really important. There are great resources for free out there, mm-hmm. like the Small Business Association, the SBA.gov is a great mm-hmm. website um, that has a lot of resources about doing business plans. Also, um, here, score if too. you're, yes, SCORE, that's what I was about to say. SCORE mm-hmm. is a great resource. They have um, classes that you can take. Some are free, some you have to pay for, but they're usually not very expensive and can be a great uh, resource. And then your local libraries. I actually have um, done uh, speaking engagements and workshops at libraries locally um, on business fundamentals um, where I go through, you know, the different types of business entities, which is Mm -hmm. the best type to set up, things like that. Um, So your local libraries can be a great resource. And the Secretary of State website in any state, really, they govern uh, business entities. And I know the Texas Secretary of State website has a ton of information on it about starting a business, the different business entity types and which one might be best for you, things like that. Mm-hmm. So now one thing that I thought about is my daughter, she's nine years old and she just launched a lip gloss line and I'm so excited for her. And she's kind of venturing now into, um, into uh, the entrepreneurship started because it's not uncommon for her to come to meetings with me. And so she would be like, you know, we were leaving a client one time and she was like, mommy, I want to have a business like you. And I was like, okay, so tell me, you know, let's talk to your interests. And we landed on the lip gloss line. And so I bring this up because I see that the idea of the kidpreneur is on the rise. Mm -hmm. So if there's any like, you know, I call myself the chief marketing momager, right? (laughs) So if if there are any other, you know, um, 
momagers or even like dadagers as well out there helping their kids launch a business, what are some things that they should consider um, as they go out there? Because like I said, I, I see a lot of it on the rise and sometimes it's like you can just look and tell at the way that they're packaging things that how is that structured behind the scenes, you know? And right. so, um, you know, and, and how can the kids' interests be protected in that to make sure that they get their money and it's not just an in, another income stream for the parent, per se? Right. And I think uh, it's great to see all of these kids out here because you, you see the stories all the time about the kids that are starting to be entrepreneurs and starting businesses and being very successful. Um, but you would handle it just like, um, you know, if your kid was on a TV show or modeling or anything like that, you want to make sure that you are protecting them and their business and any profits that they're making. And that's where that financial planner piece also comes into play mm -hmm. as well. Um, and the attorney, you know, you might want to set up a trust for the kid uh, to funnel the profits into the trust. You may even want to set up a trust to own the business and make the kid a beneficiary. Right. Um, because I, I think people sometimes don't realize like uh, an individual person do doesn't have to own a business. A trust can own a business and that protects the individual person for liability. And when you're thinking about a child, that might be the best way because you don't want someone coming and, and suing. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Parents. Uh, by way of the child for um, personal liability, things like that. So you want to put the uh, vehicles in place to protect your child. So um, a trust may be a way to do that and putting the business into a trust. Um, also, you want to protect your child's ideas as well. So same things with the trademarks and copyrights and things like that. You want to make sure that you're protecting the products that they're selling uh, through intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And see, and this really awesome and see that even for me, I'm like, oh, okay, the trust idea, I hadn't considered that. That is that's great advice. Now, I thought about the financial planner part. You know, luckily, I do have a great relationship with, you know, my bank. And so they've kind of helped me put some things in place to make sure that financially, you know, things make dollars and cents for her, right? But the right. trust piece of it, I think that's a great piece of information just to have that added layer of protection in there to make sure that, you know, everything is solid for your babies. Exactly. And then, um, you know, parents can kind of control it long, long term, right? Because mm -hmm. um, although they turn 18 and they're considered adults with a trust, you could extend it out past that 18 year point um, to make sure that mm -hmm. they're protected and then that they have um, security for a long time. Sure, because we know 18 doesn't mean an adult per se. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, awesome. So as my listeners begin to like develop and plan strategy for their business, um, what are your suggestions for um, just how they are handling things from a legal perspective? Are there documents that are in their um, wheelhouse that need to be refreshed? You know, how often should a business owner be 
making adjustments and edits and improvements to contracts, NDAs, um, revisiting their business plan? How often should that be happening? I would say at least annually. Um, You know, the laws are changing all the time um, as things evolve, uh, as our society evolves, right? Um, You know, 10 years ago, uh, digital assets was probably not a big issue um, in estate planning and probate work. But now um, it's in every will that I do because people have online banking, they have online um, cloud storage, right? We do mm-hmm. work online. Like you, you have a book, right? You probably have drafts of your book on your laptop, right? That's a digital mm-hmm. asset. Um, and so as how we do things changes, the laws change. And so it's very important to make sure that all of your documents, your NDAs, your um, MOUs, your agreements for your companies also incorporate changes into the law and really fit what you are doing with your business. And, you know, your business, it will evolve as well. You know, you may need to add partners. You may need to add uh, more board members. And so as your business evolves, you need to always look at your agreements. I do for clients um, what I call a legal audit. As you know, Mm -hmm. you do your financial audit. I don't think a lot of people think about doing a legal audit. And what I do is I have different categories of documents. It might be insurance agreements. It might be material contracts. I look at lease agreements. I look at your financials. I look at your tax filings. And I go through all of those categories of documents with my client. I do a review of everything and I make uh, suggestions about things that may need to be revised, things that they don't have that they should have, um, and things that may be obsolete. Uh, And so I think, you know, going back to your A-team, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. having an attorney on that team, you know, annually, every two years, you can do that legal audit to make sure that your contracts that you're using are still sufficient and that you're... Oh, no, I was going to say that's awesome because I talk about in my book, The Social Media Makeover, doing a social media audit. And I talk about when you first approach your social media, doing an audit to find out, you know, where all the pitfalls, where the wins and opportunities are. So, you know, where you need to start as far as making improvements, but that that's just the beginning of it. The audit is a regular thing based on the evolving needs of your audience, changes in your business, reporting and what data is telling you. So I, that's awesome to also apply that to legal matters, do a legal audit as well and make sure that all your ducks are in a row um, with all of that stuff. I love that. Yes. It's, it's so important because, you know, I, I don't think people really think about the legal implications of things that they do, but especially with a the business, there are legal implications to everything. Mm-hmm. And so for businesses that may just be starting out or may not be at that enterprise level of operation, 
when you hear about having, you know, an accountant and an attorney and a financial planner, I'm sure people are like, okay, I can't afford any of that. And that's why I'm on Google and legal zoom trying to live my best life and do what I can. <laughs> what, what are, um, how is having an attorney scalable? How can, um, person who's just starting out make uh still utilize somebody like you services at the level that they're at as far as maybe if they don't feel like oh my gosh you know what does it even cost to have an attorney on retainer or how much does this legal audit cost can you put that in perspective about how that relationship should should exist and um, how they can have different levels and options within that yeah so when i had my own practice i um had flat fee services you know mm -hmm. I you pay a flat fee and I set up your business for you and it came with certain things um or you could do a monthly plan where you would get so many hours of, of service and questions and document preparation for a reasonable fee because I know for small business owners you're putting everything into that business. And so, you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like you can afford, um, you know, all of these specialists uh, that I mentioned before. But a, a lot of attorneys do offer um, reasonable fees and you can pay a one-time fee to get something done. Attorneys will look at a contract for you for a flat fee. You know, it might be 90 bucks, but you have them look at your contract once and you may can use it for a few years. That's definitely worth it to know that you have a good contract. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of those websites out there that, you know, you can <laughs> print off for. <laughs> well, um, to me, to that just seems like a setup. Like I yes. know, you know, right. <laughs> Yeah, I just, it, it scares me. And I see bad forms come from these websites all the time. I will um, say there was one uh, website that I would use to advertise on. It's called Avvo, A-V-V-O.com. Mm -hmm. um, it's a legal website. Uh, real attorneys like myself go on there and you can post a question and attorneys will respond to it and answer your question. And then you can also get flat fee services through AVO. You can get, um, they'll do contract reviews. They will draft contracts for you. And so I think it's a, a great website and they offer services. There are reviews on there. So the attorneys are vetted um, as well. So if you're going to go out there on the interwebs, uh, Avo would be a good place. And then I always tell people um, when you're searching on the web and Googling for forms and things like that, go to, you know, a .gov or um, those types of websites, like the Secretary of State. They have all the forms you need to start a business, um, mm -hmm. and they are from the secretary of state who controls the businesses. So, you know, the form is up to date is correct. It is um, up to date with the law. Mm -hmm. um, so look for a government website, the IRS, if you want to start a nonprofit, the IRS has great resources on starting a nonprofit. They have forms on there as well. Um, and videos and all types of educational materials. So I would just say when you're searching on the web, consider the source that you're getting mm -hmm. the information from and try to make sure it's a, a reputable site. And if possible, like a, a government 
site. Um, so you know that you're probably getting the most up-to-date information and forms. Awesome. Well, this has been great information, like a real wealth of knowledge for <laughs> my listeners. And I think this is enough for people to kind of really step back and be introspective about making sure that their foundation is laid correctly for their business from a legal perspective. Um, is there anything that you want to leave listeners with any closing thoughts? Um, I, you know, when I tell clients all the time, get it in writing, that's, mm-hmm. that's the probably the most important thing to remember and to do is to get it in writing. Don't, don't, you know, you hear about handshake deals and um, things like that. Get it in writing, even if it's on a napkin, that's better than nothing. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like great advice. Well, thank you, Charlotte, for joining me and the You Need to Mind Your Business podcast for this episode of Law and Order Small Biz. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of You Need to Mind Your Business. Join us next week for another exciting episode. In the meantime, let's be social. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using the handle at MindYourBizLLC. Until next time.